In business and life, relationships are everything. Welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, where we interview top business leaders and learn how they build relationships with their teams, clients, and those that promote and refer them. Here's your host, business trainer and leader of the People Catalyst team, Carla Nelson. Dr. Audrey is the CEO and president of Blue Diamond Group Incorporated, including Blue Diamond Advisory, Blue Diamond Capital, and Blue Diamond Properties. As an entrepreneur, she has maintained impeccable market vision and has conceptualized and launched multiple business ventures. Her entrepreneurial and corporate experience has covered real estate finance, construction, and development consumer goods, entertainment, music, film, television, high-tech, financial services, insurance, municipalities, and more. And on top of that, she is just a joy to talk with and her amazing story of how she got started. And welcome to the People Catalyst Podcast, Dr. Stephanie Audrey. Hi, Carla. Thanks for having me. So excited to spend some time with you. Yes, yes. We are excited about what we're talking about here today because it is something I have been talking with business owners and entrepreneurs pretty much nonstop uh, in, in regards to financing and capitalizing your businesses. We've all heard about these loans that are going through, the PPP loan, right? What's happening with the... Um, uh, labor market right now due to this pandemic. I mean, it's just at the forefront of so many people's questions uh, about where they need to go and the plan that they need to get there. And of course, we had a, a, a chance to chat a little bit before we started uh, the podcast here. And don't wait until you need the capital. <laughs> right? Absolutely. Have a plan ahead of time. And so that might not be 100%. And I always used to say, the answer is always yes. Can you get financing and raise capital? It's just when. That's the, that, there's the unknown <laughs> is the when. And so, True. so share with us a little bit about your really interesting entrepreneurial journey. Wow. <laughs> Carla, I don't know how much time we have here, so I'll have to do it in sound bites, right? <laughs> yes, you can. Absolutely. You just have to make sure you start with uh, being pushed into actually having to create your business to realizing that that is who you were, were an entrepreneur. Definitely connect those dots because I think it's really interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, it's so true. So I was like the average, you know, kid, graduate high school, starting college full-time and was looking for part-time work and couldn't find employment because I hadn't spent time as most young people in fast food I had actually worked in an office environment I was working for the Oakland Unified School District in the gate division and was on part of the, the secretariat team while being a high school student so you know you get those like work study programs so that's what I've been doing and I typed about 80 or 90 words a minute. And <laughs> That's I impressive. Strong writing background. So I did very well in that environment. And so what they wanted to do was they wanted to offer me full-time employment, but that wouldn't allow me to go to college full-time. And I didn't want to do that. So I was stuck with, oh my goodness, I can't find work. And my mother had come across an RFP at the time for a contract with the California State Library Association. And she looked at it and she said, 
I think you could probably do this. So I did. I responded to the RFP. And in truth, they didn't want me at first. Their first uh, candidate actually declined the contract. And I was the runner up. So I was able to win the contract. that's because you were 18. I was 18. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. So you had the first RFP with the, uh, the school district when you were 18. Yeah, California State Library Association. Yes. And so I was hired to set up the operations for the Second Start Adult Literacy Program. So my part, I was responsible for just, you know, all of our operational protocols. How would we how would we function? What is the process? So I started off having that type of responsibility. And then once I graduated, um, I had made a change because I had to do some negotiation with my mom. Originally, I prepared to go to UC Berkeley to study medicine and become a plastic surgeon. But about my 10th grade, my mother was kind of saying, well, I just can't see you spending all this additional time in school and not really certain in terms of the outcomes. She had become a little bit disillusioned after having invested in her own education and felt like it became an impediment to her progress as opposed to helping to facilitate her progress. Well, especially with the debt and the timing. And it's like you were getting on the job training right as you were going to college. And and if you hadn't been, it would have been like, oh, hit rewind. I think a lot of people do that when their focus is, you know, just focused on college. Absolutely. It, it really it really created an interesting situation. So actually, by the time it came time to graduate from school, I, I did this two year program. So I earned my associates and I found that I was really attractive to uh, businesses because unlike many of my classmates, I actually had business and work experience. And the fact that I had owned my own business while in school really stood out because that demonstrated that I had my own initiative. So mm-hmm. you were not going to need to micromanage me. I could take, you know, responsibility, I could initiate, and I could find solutions. So those things really worked well for me. And then also the professors were entrepreneurs. So I really, when I studied bookkeeping, for example, I was being trained by a CPA. So Mm -hmm. I just had a real rich education that I was able to immediately translate into business practices. That's awesome. Okay, you have to share also your 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 first business and your tagline. I can't recall <laughs> it, but I but it's really cool. So it's so cute. So after I spent a little time in uh, the corporate world, I realized that I really was an entrepreneur. So now the problem was how do you leave your job and go back into business? So I needed to create kind of two businesses. I needed to create one business that would replace my income. And, my, and allow me some flexibility so I could then create the second business. So my first business was Nighttime Business Services. And my tag was nine to nine is our work time. Call us day or night for a job done right. <laughs> Isn't that just, I love it. That was, you know, when you couldn't get the project done overnight because everybody just worked nine to five way back in the day, right? Now it's a thing. Right. <laughs> so 24 right. hours is a thing. Order right. stuff online 24 hours is a thing. So, well, that is super. I love, you demonstrated several things there. You always had a plan and that get the on the job training and don't be afraid to start. Just jump in and make something happen just so that you have a plan that you can move. And strategically, that is a really cool story. So how did you get into finance then? 
Oh, so finance became really my second career because I stay. So the second business that I wanted to create was in the marketing communication space and ultimately an advertising agency, because as I grew my business, I began to realize where there were certain gaps in the market. Mm -hmm. And I understood that in order to be able to win some of the major contracts, you had to have a certain size and scale organization. So then I started contemplating and created strategic alliances where I had other small agencies that operated in some of the key markets. We aligned ourselves strategically to make ourselves become stronger so that we could go after other contracts. And then I went a step further and structured a joint venture that then allowed me to leverage, uh, 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 I guess you say through my JV partners, the business and the capitalized billings that they had been able to also accumulate through their owners. And so collectively, my company was then a $250 million backed agency, which gave it the largest ability to go after major contracts in the marketplace. Place. So that was my first business. We, uh, that was the, the, the second business that really went and grew and evolved to this larger organization where you know, we had uh, eight offices, over 400 employees. So that was my you know, real big play uh, on the path to creating a billion dollar organization. But after so many years in that space, what I realized is that I, I was trying to educate the market on multicultural communications at a time that they weren't receptive to mm -hmm. that messaging. So that's kind of been a, the, probably the story of my path is that I am a visionary. Sometimes my vision is ahead of the curve. And so what I learned is if you have the vision ahead of time, then you've got to have the money to educate the market Mm -hmm. then have the desire to still be in the market when finally the market comes around and is ready to do business with you. Frankly, for me, I was exhausted by that point. And I didn't like the way that we had to bid on contracts because we'd have to basically reveal our secret sauce and then hope that the client that we've pitched to had the integrity to keep our information confidential and not just take our insight and award then their existing you know, uh, vendor mm -hmm. using our information. And, and unfortunately that, that happened too many times. And so I just couldn't imagine spending the rest of my career with that pent up frustration that people could legally steal your information and you really had no recourse. No so I kidding. left uh, the advertising and communications world. And thankfully I felt that I was still pretty young. So I went to school and I studied real estate finance and development. So that's, I came out of USC um, I attended a certificate program in real estate finance and development. And so that was the beginning of my pivot to this whole real estate and finance platform uh, that I, I began to not only learn and master, but then build upon. That's awesome. And now in your spare time, I know you're going and uh, getting your uh, uh, law degree too. So, you know. <laughs> You are awesome. You always have a plan for something like you strategically focus on even I love the strategic alliances that you built there. And then um, was able to capitalize. There's a really unique way of how you can capitalize your business, by the way, right? Not everybody's so putting those JVs together or sometimes reverse engineer where you go to work for some of the larger ones that can bid on them 
but that you're awarded certain contracts as well. And so, so okay, business and commercial finance and real estate finance, that's my background too. So I'm really interested in, usually you don't hear marketing and ad agency and then finance. So what part of finance did you really like? Because I like the creative side of it. I didn't like to really dig in all of the Excel spreadsheets and all the really specific stuff, but I love to tell the story of and help somebody strategically identify. And you obviously like planning. We can go on a vacation anytime, honey, because I know that you'll have everything <laughs> figured out. <laughs> but so with that, what part of the finance do you like? How did that pull you in from marketing and ads? Just typically the types of individuals that live in those two worlds, you know, it's not the same. I know it gave me such a market competitive advantage because I really was doing quantitative analysis before that was a thing <laughs> in the marketing space because my true secret is that I can say I kind of was a closet bean counter and techie <laughs> because even when I was in high school, um, just for summer fun. I did a class in microcomputer electronics, so I was building computers because so I was that rare student. Normally you start off in school, you're either math and science or your communications. So my natural orientation is that I really am math and science and I really am a true introvert. But because my mother was a writer and a communications major, she made me a writer and communicator as well. So I've always been you know, a hidden threat in any environment because they never could figure out how I do what I do. But it's all math and science based. That's awesome. I always say it's an art and a science. Every yes. single thing in business is an art and a science. And exactly components is really critical. So share with us a little bit about, especially the current times that we're working in right now, in some creative capitalization strategies. Or, and we already talked about you know, wait and don't wait until you actually need the capital. You need to have a plan, right? And, and a plan for when things don't go well, like all of a sudden you close the doors and you, you're not open for a month. Can you share with us maybe a story of some unique way? You already shared your own where you identified other smaller agencies and were able to uh, capitalize your business and get those larger contracts because you guys all work together. Um, but I think a lot of times CEOs tend to be earlier adopters and forget that finance piece of it. And you need to have a bean counter somewhere. Like I like yes. that, you said that you have to have that. Uh, you have to fill that space. So what are some of the strategies that you would share um, with our listeners in regards to either unique ways or even traditional ways that people don't think of? Yes, absolutely. Excellent question. So what I usually have people do is if you're thinking about, okay, I think I need $250,000, then I'll have them do a use of funds summary, basically taking an Excel spreadsheet and listing out how you're going to allocate that $250,000. And then depending upon those particular allocations, so I'm going to buy equipment, I'm going to, you know, lease this over here, whatever, whatever. Then I take and I carve out, I carve out items from that list that can stand as its own asset or collateral. So what I'm saying is if you have 10 items on your list, some of those items include working capital. Working capital might be the hardest money to find. So I'm going to 
keep that in its bucket, right? I have to borrow for a line of credit for that working capital. Mm -hmm. But if I have equipment requirements, equipment can be its own collateral. So I can use equipment financing to finance that equipment. So let's use the equipment financing on that equipment. So I'll give you a great example. So for example, a client of mine leased a space and they needed to do a certain amount of tenant improvements to modify the space for their franchise requirements. And in that they had the construction work that they needed to pay for all of the permits and fees, but then they also had an an extensive amount of equipment that was required for the project. So we did a carve out on the equipment and financed the equipment separately. And then took the money that we were able to get in terms of a line of credit and use that most strategically, which also reduced the amount of owner's equity, owner's or even third party investor's equity. Because if we look at in the hierarchy of things, the most expensive capital is that investor, that third party capital. Mm -hmm. So you want to minimize the use of that to extreme conditions where you just have no other source but needing to go outside for that capital. Right. Mm -hmm. But if you can use debt, then you want to really maximize the debt. And it's the same thing in terms of the cost of that debt. You're looking for terms. But I think a lot of times entrepreneurs get too caught up in interest rate on debt for a business is different than interest rate on debt for a person. Mm -hmm. Very different. And And it's a lot more creative. You know, when when you're working with a a business owner, entrepreneur, uh, however, I mean, you can be financing your real estate in regards and your business and two separate loans with, you know, it's just a a very um, kind of wave your magic wand a little bit, I want to say, instead of when you're working with a owner of a home or they've got, you know, credit card experience, you're working with not in it slash investor and or a business owner. And so the regulations associated with that make it very cookie cutter. Whereas in business and commercial finance, you really can be quite innovative in the way that you are applying the, um, the way that you're going to utilize the either debt or equity or some other type of leveraged capital. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's important. And I think that's kind of one of the things that I've been speaking to lately. So so let's talk about COVID, for example. A few things emerged in this COVID experience. I spent the last several weeks assisting clients with preparing their PPP applications, doing their notes to financial statements, and really helping them understand what part qualified and how to qualify and complete those packages, as well as the EIDL loan, which was the economic impact disaster Mm -hmm. loans. Mm -hmm. And in both of those instances, things that when we looked at the guidelines that wasn't revealed on the front end was something like this. People didn't know that uh, SBA pulled Dun & Bradstreet to look at their business credit profiles. Mm. That wasn't shared as part of a criteria, there are people who actually were denied for PPPs or idle loans because they had not built up their corporate credit. Mm. So 
that was a problem. The second thing, I always talk about having a diversity in banking relationships and making sure that you interview your bank before you set up a banking account because you have to make sure that they even lend in your asset class because Mm -hmm. some banks don't lend in certain asset classes. So why would you spend all this time building your banking business relationship with them only to learn that they're not ever going to really give you any meaningful capital opportunities that you need to have a different relationship. I see that happening all the time in factoring. Not only just factoring, but look, it happened with COVID. Think about all of the small businesses that had all the retail bank accounts Mm -hmm. and the retail banks, because remember, every bank, every lender has a threshold, right? In terms of exposure that they can take on in any particular lending category. So they went after their big clients first. And then they had no lending capacity for the smaller folks. Mm -hmm. And so I was on my soapbox yelling, you know, like, this is why (laughs) I told you to have different banking relationships, you know, because just having all your money in these retail banks, you are not important. You're not sitting on a big enough account or relationship with them to make them feel like you matter. So come on. Absolutely. I can't tell you how many times I've heard something in regards to, gosh, we should have done fill in the blank. So your best strategy is definitely a, um, what do they always say? Your best defense is a great offense. Yes. Yes. <laughs> having that offensive aspect of, uh, of having a plan for your finance. Um, and I, I really like how you pointed out the relationships in the banking, because I heard over and over and over again, that those that were with the larger uh, banks like Wells Fargo, um, I didn't hear it so much on Chase, but just the you know big ones that everybody knows. You're right. They ended up going down to the local community bank and then ended up moving all of their banking because you know they might have not been this huge big guy, right? They were a little guy. So absolutely strategic relationships, and I think expanding those, right? Like yeah, there's so many different types of capital. Yes, understanding that. And and a lot of times, I think, especially in new ventures, uh, those the third party that you were talking about, right, Um, angel investors, VC, private equity, uh, investment banking. That's what a lot of them think about first hedge funds is a little more creative and unique. They think of those first, rather than figuring out a different way to get to the place they want to be. I mean, which is interesting and just having a really great relationship with a lot of different uh, individuals in the, not only banking space, right, but just lending space. Yes. And so it's so important because uh, the kind of tell on of, of my knowledge in finance grew after the financial market collapse, where I found myself as an executive in the real estate development environment, and then being unemployed and kind of forced to go back into business again. I had taken on a corporate job with the aim of building out my experience, building up my professional portfolio and getting my son off to college. And then as soon as he went to college, then being able to go back into business. But that I was forced prematurely to have to try to go back into business under circumstances that definitely were not favorable. So immediately I found myself struggling with the same type of 
cash issues that many entrepreneurs uh, struggle with. And it was different for me than when I started my earlier companies because I was able to plan the earlier ones out. So by the time I went into business, I had plenty of money reserves. I had the perfect credit set up. I was all, you know, aimed. This time around, I own property. I've got mortgages and an interruption of my cash flow you know, could create a domino effect in terms of my financial. And it did for a lot of people in 2008 because we ended up morphing into a consulting firm because when your lending sources are saying they want to reduce their portfolio by 40%, right? You're going, okay, it, um, you know, they might take an A++ deal, but they're going to be dragging their feet all the way home when they don't know, you know, what's going to happen um, in that financial crisis. And so what we did is, we had, and, but we didn't want to not take care of our clients. It was really struggle. And, and I, I, like you, has had real estate and all, just like the individuals we were working with, they might have two companies, you know, three commercial buildings, you know, 12 rental homes. And what was happening is that ended up being a real estate and a finance function. And so now all of a sudden you're upside down, right? Uh, you're yes. over your head in a commercial building, yet they're going to the commercial broker or they're going to the real estate agent to ask for help, yet it's a finance function. Yes. I thought that was really interesting because it's probably why I have such a, because I reverse engineered it. I, I ended up opening up the real estate side because now I needed somebody who could do my short sales because I could sure. figure out the finance function of it. But if it was like, what comes first, the chicken or the egg kind of thing that would end up happening in that scenario. Absolutely. Yeah. Spot on. Yeah. You're, you're so right. I saw so many different scenarios. And then also because of my prior experience with the uh, incubator model, I was asked to advise because now this was getting hot again in terms of this, you know, launching new ventures. So I became part of a couple of investment groups and I became a requested advisor for several different funds. So everybody that was doing any type of pitch or, or financing. And so then I created a model in that particular space, but I did a drill down where I really became an expert in venture finance. So mm -hmm. much so that when I completed my doctoral uh, my doctorate, my DBA, my uh, dissertation was on venture capital for independent filmmakers, you know, oh, but basically, really? yeah, I've got a connection capital. I need to make uh, for you in that regard. I, um, and that is such a unique space, by the way, you just said that that one is like, you know, gas stations, it's all in its own little vertical. I mean, you've got to know so many things and you can make really good money or you can not if you don't have all your ducks in a row in, in creating film. Um, that is a really interesting vertical. And so what would you share with our listeners that, I mean, I heard have a plan, you know, you got started, you strategically went from thing to thing, right? Like you had a plan so that you could get there all the way to the end. What should our listeners do if they're like sitting there right now and they're and either people are doing really well that I've experienced, either our clients or whoever, doing really well, having some serious concerns because the floor just got dropped out from underneath of them. Or there's this third category, uh, Stephanie, that I've just been feeling like they're kind of deer in the headlights. And I think that's a really scary place to be right now. Um, I mean, it'd be better to just close up your doors and do something else than it would be to lengthy, you know, have this deer in the headlights kind of look and not be proactive. So what would you share with our listeners? Or if they're trying to start a new venture, you know what? More millionaires are, are created during downturns than upturns. There's 
it's actually a greater opportunity. So could you share a little absolutely. bit about your tips and points that- Oh, uh, absolutely. Because I think this is a great opportunity, right? And it's just dependent upon how you look at the glass. Are you going to look at it as half full or half empty? Mm -hmm. And so it's about one, the first thing you want to do is you want to gain your momentum by making sure that you set the appropriate mindset. So it starts with the mindset, because if you're taking actions, but you don't fully believe in those actions, you've mm -hmm. taken on a pessimistic attitude, then chances are you're not going to realize the results because that energy is beating you to every client or every, you know, contact that you're making. So you yep. want to make sure that your mindset is appropriate and that you're not operating from fear. So it's like step back, take a deep breath, gain some type of perspective. Now think about what is your exit anyway? What were you thinking? Where are you in that business that you were thinking? Were you thinking that, you know what? We were doing so great. I was going to be able to exit in 10 years. Mm -hmm. Okay. Because now let's then look at, and what were you planning in terms of what you needed to walk away with at the time of that exit? So now let's kind of look at that destination and come back to where you are at this point. Do you need to pivot and explore a new business opportunity? Do you need to add a variation to your business? So for example, when I looked at the medical space, I'm like, okay, any physician in private practice, any dentist, any chiropractor that's in practice, COVID is now requiring that they either have some type of telemedicine element of their business, they incorporate it in some way to their business, or they begin to explore other elements. So instead of just those other elements, some of those other elements are, okay, you're a physician and you have an expertise in this particular area. Is there an opportunity to contribute to a new technology or a new process that could be improved? Could you kind of pivot by being an advisor or helping to create this technology that now finances your exit? Right. So yep. just kind of really taking that assessment. And so that's really what it is. It's taking a, 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 what I call my quick S and dirty SOS. What is the situation? What are the obstacles and the opportunities? And then what's the right strategy? I love it. I love it. I think we were separated at birth. <laughs> I have like three pages of notes here, Stephanie. It is so true. That is so amazing. So where can our listeners get a hold of you at? Yes. So I'm based out of Newport Beach. Um, my company is Blue Diamond Capital. Uh, and so my number is 949-258-4341. 949-258-4341. And then you also will hear of me out in the marketplace uh, referred to as Dr. Money. Uh, so I'm doing a lot of oh, speaking like and that. training. Dr. Money brand. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, I sure appreciate you sharing your brilliance with us here, Stephanie, today. And I have a feeling this will not be the end of our conversation together. Oh, I hope not, Carla. You are so fun. And clearly, we have, you know, like you said, separated at birth, I believe. And it's been <laughs> such a wonderful opportunity to speak with you. Yes, yes. Thank you again so much. We will be in touch. Lovely. Thank you for listening to the People Catalyst podcast. And remember, it's a good life.